Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to the JMU Sports News Podcast. My name is Jack Fitzpatrick. Bennett Conlon will be jumping on the podcast with women's golf coach Tommy Baker here in just a couple of minutes. The JMU Sports News Podcast is presented by Bet Online. It's that time of year as college basketball takes center stage with the tournament finally upon us. If you're looking to wager this year, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your updated odds and info, along with great contests, including the bracket contest, where you have a chance to take home the top prize. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE to get started. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet Online, where the game starts. As mentioned earlier, Bennett interviewed Tommy Baker, the women's golf coach at JMU. In just three seasons at JMU, Tommy Baker has transformed the women's golf program. Last year, the women's golf team won the CAA title and they're coming off of a tournament win. Bennett spoke to Tommy about coming to JMU, last year's fantastic run, and the future of the program now that JMU is leaving the Colonial Athletic Association. They're one of the teams screwed most by the CAA's ruling this spring. We've seen it impact men's, women's basketball, softball, and baseball. And women's golf is just yet another one that's getting impacted heavily by the CAA's ruling as it's very difficult to get an at-large bid in women's golf. And then they finish things up with a lightning round. Bennett's a big time golfer. And so of course he had to talk to Tommy Baker about some general, this is Bennett's quote exactly, general golf musings. Had to include that quote, include that quote because musings, I don't see that word used a lot. It's a niche sport, it's not easy to follow, but if JMU fans can keep tabs on the women's golf program, it's absolutely fantastic because they are really good and they're really fun to just track along the season. Shout out Jason Kretsch for setting up this interview. Bennett had a great time. Take it away, Bennett, with women's golf coach Tommy Baker. We're welcoming in now Tommy Baker, the head coach of JMU Women's Golf, someone we've talked about having on for a while and took a while for us to actually make the request. But we have uh, Tommy on. So, Tommy, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thanks, Bennett. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You've been one of our, uh, our biggest cheerleaders uh, over the last 10 months. So I'm, I'm excited to be on here and talk a little bit about the women's golf. Awesome. I think we'll we'll talk some, some championship last year, recent tournament win. But first, I was curious your path to JMU and if you could take the, the listeners through how you became the head coach at, at James Madison University. I don't know. That's a whole separate podcast, probably. <laughs> we want to go down the whole resume, but um, played um, Division II golf at UNC Pembroke in North Carolina. Um, went there just like many other people. You, you think you're going to be a professional, but then you quickly realize that's not going to be the avenue you take. Um, started out as a Division II head coach at Coker College, now Coker University, as a men's coach kind of caught the bug as a part-time employee. New president came in and said, hey, 
we're going to give you women's golf too, um, make you a full-time employee, but no assistance. So I was coaching men, coaching women, no assistant. So I had kids and a wife. And so we decided, you know, to look at some other opportunities. We found a, a home down in uh, St. Leo, Florida, at St. Leo University, another division two school coaching just women. Um, it was a challenge there to bring a program from the bottom of the conference up to the top. And we, we did that in three to four years pretty quickly. Um, from there, I, I went and joined a friend at Colorado State as her assistant. Um, it was my first uh, delve into Division One golf and the whole different intricacies between Division Two and Division One. That's a whole other podcast as well. But um, learned a lot there just really from administrative and business side of how recruiting works, you know, against all the big schools, the power fives and things of that nature. And um, my wife, I'm from North Carolina. My wife's from South Carolina. When, you know, there's always a, a bucket list of schools you keep out there that you're always looking at if they're opening. And James Madison was one of those schools that, you know, I knew enough about athletically and academically that I felt like it would be a school that I could do really well at as a coach and, you know, help, you know, uplift the program and the job came open and I went, you know, full court press trying to get it. And luckily a few years, four years later now, I'm sitting pretty nice here at James Madison. I couldn't find a better place to be. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's certainly quite the journey to get to this <laughs> point. What was it like when you, you come to JMU, you take over a program that you're trying to, to build up and, and sort of as you're building up the pandemic hits and then you have to, to manage that while also, managing a program you're trying to get to the top of the conference yeah I mean year one year one it was a learning curve I think we came in um probably about a 311 312 stroke average something definitely outside of the norm that I'm used to from you know my time at Colorado State and other division two schools but um it was a balancing act and it's it's I wish I could say I came in and flipped the switch and snapped my fingers and everything was great but it was uh when you're changing culture changing changing chemistry changing just the team environment and philosophy, it takes time. Um, I wish, you know, there's all these coaches who say, yeah, I can change culture in a week, but that's not, that's not true. Like, you know, culture changes day to day, changes week to week, changes year to year based off your, your roster makeup. And um, I had to adapt a little bit to their learning styles. And, you know, we, we were successful year one, we had two wins uh, to start the spring, both match play events so definitely different, but um, we did have success. We set records then and, Every year from there, we've, we set more and broke more records as, as we progress. But, you know, year two, you, you think, you know, you've got a couple, you know, freshmen coming in. At that time, it was uh, Anna Siros and Kendall Turner. And, you know, you had a couple returners in, in the lineup from Kate Owens, Carly Livers, and Lauren Commages at the time. And you're thinking, all right, you know, we're, we're going to make some headway here. We've got a lot of talent. And, you know, next thing we know, we're plugging along. We're setting some records. We're doing well. We're having some good finishes. And we, you know, we fly out to Hawaii of all places. And, you know, when we're out there trying to, you know, have a tournament, do the business approach, try to relax a little bit on spring break, uh, the world kind of ends. You know, COVID comes about and um, we, we didn't really know what to expect. You know, I'm talking to the team. We're, we're in Hawaii. We're six, eight hours behind everything that's happening. So we're waking up and NCAA tournaments being canceled, NBA's being canceled. And it's, you know, we're all kind of at a loss. and. It was, it was a tough pill to swallow, but, you know, at that point it was, you know, two weeks flat in the curve. We're going to, we're going to move through. So I, I, you know, went with my team and met with them and said, Hey, we're going to, you know, luckily we finished that tournament, but we were supposed to fly to Houston, I believe, right from Hawaii. And 
Um, so that tournament got canceled while we were still trying to rearrange flights in Hawaii. And then that was, you know, a whole nother two day process there. Cause I think we got stuck there an extra day. We tried to go snorkeling and all of that, but unfortunately, you know, with COVID and everything, we had to learn how to, you know, you know, talk to our players more about mental health, um, talk to them about handling adversity. And un unfortunately as coaches, we've gotten really good at that conversation, but um, at the same time, it's, you know, teaching them that good days don't last and bad days don't last. And, you know, everything evolves around the state of equilibrium. And um, if we can just process and tackle what's right in front of us, we're going to move forward. And I think we're better for that process that we went through. And, um, you know, when adversity strikes on the golf course, we seem to handle it a lot better than, you know, when we first got here. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Certainly good life advice and good golf advice as well kind of carries over to both take me through the uh the CAA championship winning team that's such a young group that was able to accomplish that after everything that was going on in the pandemic was that something you expected going in were you surprised at how well that group clicked um I'm definitely surprised like you always see I think as coaches you always see the natural talent the natural ability but you never know how it's going to gel um and unfortunately I mean with through the COVID through all the protocols fall semester was canceled I mean, as a coach at that time, I, you know, lost my assistant coach at that point. So it was, I was doing it by myself. I didn't have any help. So me and the men's coach and Carter Shevins, we're going back and forth on a daily basis, trying to, you know, maneuver this path. We have no idea what we're doing and, you know, literally operating on a, you know, hour by hour basis. And um, fall semester was wild. You know, it was, we had four freshmen, four upperclassmen, I believe it was at that time. And, you know, that was, that was a challenge in itself, bringing in four new freshmen. And, you know, there was some learning curves getting into the culture and having them all kind of follow along with what we're trying to build instead of trying to do their own thing. That was a struggle a little bit, but um, come February, um, you know, I'm very optimistic. We had some weather challenges to start out, but we go to Mercer and all the talent I saw, all the hope and promise quickly, you know, went into the trash can. We finished dead last by the largest margin I've ever been a part of. And I didn't really know what to say. And it's one of those moments, like, you know, the players, I could tell they were dejected and, you know, I knew no one was trying to play that poorly, but as a coach, you start questioning everything you've done. Like, is this process going to work? Is, do I need to reinvent the wheel? But um, we had a good team meeting that, you know, I think next day or within the next day or two from that. And, you know, it was a very open dialogue between myself and the players and the players and myself. And, you know, we, we challenged each and every one, you know, the players challenged me. I challenged the players. We all held each other to that. And after that meeting, I felt really optimistic, extremely optimistic. And, you know, after that process, we go to UNC Wilmington, set records there. I think we shoot 11 under par and you start to see the, the ball rolling and the players buying in and they're realizing, oh, this is, we can do this, you know, through all the adversity, the, you know, weekly testing and whatnot. And, but as far as the championship, I mean, it was that final day, I was running around like a headless chicken. I didn't know what was going on because, you know, I'm one coach, five players and live scoring was a little slow. And it was, you know, I'm running around trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, I didn't have an assistant coach to kind of help me kind of calm my thoughts a little bit, but, um, it was it was definitely fun to watch that the roller coaster of the COVID year um, from finishing dead last. And, you know, I told the players after that championship, if if Mercer, if we want to finish dead last, I don't know if this championship would have ever happened because the amount of buy in that happened in that team meeting after Mercer 
you know, I couldn't put, I couldn't put into words. Wow. Now that's, that's a really cool story. I was interested too, and you kind of alluded to it, but what is it like being a golf coach on a match where you've got players on different holes, doing different things, you're trying to juggle that responsibility. And also what's it like to work with players who might have individual swing coaches at home or something like that? How do you, you manage what they want to do on the golf course with kind of how it fits into your team? Oh man, that's a, that's a soapbox there. We can, um, I think as far as coaching, you know, with, with an assistant, I think, it, you know, you know, you, you tackle it, you kind of break down like right now, for instance, my assistant goes with the fives and fours and I split three, two ones. Um, that's kind of how we, we send things out right now. Um, during the COVID year, I was in a cart. I would check in with the five player. I would stay there until the four player came through, stay there until the three, until they all came through, then I'd drive up again, find the five player. And that was the only way I knew how to, you know, try to help them throughout that process without leaving four people by themselves for too long. Um, so that's kind of how we balance that work ethic or the work distribution. But as far as, you know, swing coaches and private instructors, I think to, to be a golf coach, you have to know you might be a second or third set of eyes. Um, I'm happy to be their primary swing coach. I'm also fine with being their secondary swing coach. And um, for me, it's probably more work on myself and my assistant, but we try to have open communication, open dialogue with swing coaches. So we know the verbiage they're using to teach what, what is clearly working with someone they've been working with for you know four or five, six years. Um, I could be telling them the same exact thing in a different, in a different, you know, verbiage and it just not click. So if I have open dialogue with their swing coaches, we can, you know, shoot a quick video message. I shoot a video of Kate Owen sent it to her swing coach. He texts me right back. And I think it's, you kind of have to stay humble. I started at 24 head coaching knew nothing really about, I was kind of a field player, natural, um, type of player who just kind of saw, saw ball, hit ball. Um, that's how I was as a player. So I've become more technical as I've gotten, uh, more exposed to more golf swings and all of that. But I think starting out very humbly as a coach, you, you quickly learn, you might be primary secondary, or even, you know, a third set of, you know, third option for these players and being okay with that, but also having that open dialogue with their swing coaches. Makes a ton of sense. You mentioned the the championship last season. We talked about that this year. Uh, I guess in the fall, you probably started the fall season. Then at some point, you get the the CAA news and all that's going on there. How do you handle that with your team? You you mentioned adversity. That's certainly probably a pretty big chunk, especially after winning the the title last year. Yeah, you you definitely always want to defend your championship. Like you never want to to lose that opportunity. Um, unfortunately, I remember sitting in that you know the head coaches meeting, and then we you know, had the large athletic meeting with um, all the student athletes and all the coaches knew exactly what they were going to do after they didn't know. I mean, none of us knew what we were going to say because it was so emotional. So raw, you didn't know how the players would respond, but we all had like individual pod meetings with our, you know, teams all throughout the AUBC. And it was, you know, it was, there. it was tough when you see, you know, players like Kendall Turner, who's, you know, defending conference champion, um, you know, the player of the year, the previous year, you know, in, in virtual tears, and you see these players that you've never seen show emotion, show emotion. It's, it's, it's tough as a coach to have that conversation um, because like I said earlier, unfortunately we've had to do this too much. And, you know, thankfully, you know, you let them 
kind of sit on the news for a few weeks to a month. And, you know, we had more conversations with the CAA and, you know, they're going to allow us to play as individuals, not as a team. So um, where the individual can still get the, the AQ to play at NCAA regionals if we don't get it as a team or an at-large bid, I should say. Um, but, you know, it was, it was pretty raw emotion and, you know, it was heartfelt. And, you know, I you know, told them it's, it's not fair and none of us deserve this. Um, none of us deserve what's happening to us. But unfortunately, like I told them in COVID in life, you can't control what's happening to you. All you can do is how you control how you react to what's happening. Um, and what do you do next? It's not about what you're doing. It's about what you're going to do next in the situation. And, um, you know, luckily, you know, this team's tough. Uh, their mental fortitude is, you know, second to none amongst the teams I've ever coached. And like I've told you before, when adversity strikes, they seem to step up. Yeah, and they, they stepped up, I guess, earlier this week uh, with the, the tournament victory. It went down to the wire with East Carolina. I was following along on golf stat, which is not quite falling along so you're getting you know live scores over like five holes or whatever but uh it seemed like it was maybe going east carolina's way it did not uh at the end so so what was that finish like for you as a coach and and to pick up that win as a team how, how nice was that coming down the home stretch i mean that was whether we finished first or second um that was the most enjoyable round of coaching i've had in 14 years without without a doubt um definitely helps that you know my, our coaching staff here at JMU and their coaching staff at East Carolina, we've been close friends for a long time. Um, we've recruited together, we've played against each other, and it's, um, and I believe the assistant at East Carolina used to be the assistant at Mississippi State where my assistant played. So there's that kind of dynamic. So, you know, we're, we're friends out there, but obviously we want to win. So that was always a cool experience in that. Starting out, it was, it was a heavyweight matchup. Um, East Carolina came out swinging fast and furious. I think Oda, their number one player, had three or four birdies in her first three or four holes. And you're looking at this like, man, East Carolina came to play. Um, made the turn probably about four, five, six down. Kendall Turner was Kendall Turner. You know, just went on a barrage, about four straight birdies at one point. Shoots a 666. Amelia Williams, you know, crazy thing about everything with her winning I congratulated her on the 18th hole and she thought she'd lost. Um, she thought she'd lost by two shots. She had no idea, completely naive to uh, the surroundings. She's just out there playing golf. And that, that encapsulates Amelia Williams where she's just out there doing what she has to do and um, completely quieting all the noise around her. And it was, we didn't know, cause like you said, golf stat wasn't really, wasn't like live scoring by any stretch. It was a little slow. I think, you know, it was probably about a, a 30 minute wait to really figure out who won. So we're all trying to, you know, East Carolina coaching staff's trying to find their players. We're trying to find our players, get scorecards. And the only thing at that point we knew was Amelia had won and I pulled the players, you know, together and I, you know, talked to them about, you know, how proud as coaching staff we were of how they performed. You know, we played great, you know, East Carolina played exceptionally well. So, you know, talk to them about the difference between getting beat and losing. And, um, you know, if, if they shoot, you know, seven, eight under and beat us by one and we shoot, you know, two or three under and lose by one, we didn't necessarily lose it. We just got beat because someone, you know, unlike other sports, we can't control what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And if they go out there and, you know, shoot 64 and we shoot 66, we played great, but we just didn't play great enough. And, 
Um, I talked to them about that, how to handle that situation if that situation did arise. But fortunately, it didn't. Fortunately, we came out of the win, and it was it was you know one of the more special special wins because I grew up probably thirty minutes from River Landing in itself. So it was kind of like like a little homecoming reunion for me, and um, it was definitely a, a memorable, hopefully more than once in a lifetime experience. That's awesome. Yeah, that's quite the experience. So are you on? You mentioned looking at live scoring on rounds. Are you also on golf stat checking? Where do you get the data? I try to, I try not to. Mm-hmm. Most times I check about every nine holes mm-hmm. um, just because if I live and breathe by hitting refresh, I'm going to stress myself out immensely. Um, I will admit I was on it more than I've ever been on it in a really long time since probably the conference championship last year, the final round. Um, because, you know, both situations, we're looking at a team victory, we're looking at individual victory, and I have to weigh the balance out of where do I go? Who do I help? Like, do I stay with Amelia? And, you know, clearly Kendall was doing just fine. Like, I just kind of let her do her thing at that point. Um, You know, what, where do we go and all of that? So, yeah, I mean, especially in those final rounds when we're in contention, I'm definitely looking at it more than uh, other days. Gotcha. And then most tournaments, there are five players keep four scores. Is that? That's that right? correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. What's that dynamic like if you've got maybe someone who's like second in your lineup and they're having a rough day? Just, do you go over and tell whoever's number five that their score is probably counting? Do they just figure it out? How does that work? Or they just keep stay within their round? Um, kind of depends on the person. Um, mm-hmm. I think with being a golf coach, you, you really have to know what pushes the right buttons for each player. And however you want to figure that out over your time, you figure it out. But um, for instance, final round, you know, Kate's been, you know, a phenomenal player for us for four years, like holds many records, if not all the records, you know, for JMU women's golf. She was not playing well that final round. Um, And there was at one point I went to her and, you know, she, I think I went to help her and she apologized. And at that point I knew, you know, she let her guard down and I said, Hey, Kate, your teammates got your back today. Don't worry about it. Just keep supporting them and um, everything's fine. Your teammates have your back. You've had their back for four years. Now it's their turn to have your back. And, um, you know, testament to her. She was the first one to congratulate Amelia Williams after the round, even though she had one of her worst rounds in college. Um, You know, credit to Kendall Turner when she turned in her bogey-free 66. She didn't say anything about her scorecard. All she did was ask, did Amelia win? Um, and I think that's kind of a testament to the culture we've created here and, and that dynamic and that piece. That's awesome. And two tournaments left, I think, this season, if I'm not mistaken, and, and maybe some postseason after that, depending on rankings and all that stuff. What's, what's sort of next on the horizon and your expectations for the rest of the year? Well, giving them a couple of days off to be um, kind of relaxed, go home maybe for a couple of days, come back, see the swing coach. Um, and then we start getting ready for Chattanooga. Uh, we'll be down there. I think we tournament starts maybe the 26th, 27th um, of March. Uh, same lineup. We're going to keep the, you know, the lineup of Amelia, Kendall, Kate, Tatum, and Carly. And, you know, it's tough to really change the lineup after a win. And, you know, we've been fortunate all year to, you know, have the depth to flip-flop. And I think we had four or five different lineups this year. And, you know, we haven't really finished much outside the top five all year. So that speaks to the depth and the, the, you know, how well the players get along outside of the golf course in itself. But 
Um, two tournaments left. We got Chattanooga, and then after that, we go East Carolina. So we're playing two tournaments actually within about a an eight nine day window, and both the fields are phenomenal. There's 21 teams at Chattanooga and about 14 at East Carolina, and you've got teams from the the Big Ten, Big Twelve, ACC. Um, you name it, they're there. So um, the opportunity for us to really go out there and perform well, it's there. Um, definitely help the strength of schedule with uh, receiving a potential at large bid. So um, the ball's in our court now, and it's just up to us to see what we're going to do with it. Awesome. I did want to talk a little Sunbelt, depending on, I guess, how much you've, you've looked into things like that, the future of, of JMU women's golf. What do you know about that, that league and how it might, I guess, set up JMU in the future? You know, Sunbelt, you know, I think just like all the other sports within that conference, they're, they're elite. Um, Mm -hmm. When you've got, you know, schools such as, you know, Coastal Carolina, you know, Conway, Myrtle Beach area, you know, they're going to be good in golf. Uh, They're defending champions, you know, great program, great coach. You know, you've got Texas State, which once again, down near Austin, San Marcos, incredible place to play golf and all of that. You've got great programs there. You've got Georgia Southern, you've got South Alabama, you've got Troy. um, And now you're going to be bringing in ODU, Southern Miss and Marshall in itself. And, you know, like with the CAA, we've got three or four teams that compete every year. But I think with the Sun Belt, it's going to be six to eight teams. So just the depth, the top heavy depth is going to be it's going to make it more challenging. But at the same time, it makes it more rewarding when you pull it off. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to play some different courses to play some different tournaments. And, you know, I believe, I'm not sure how long the conference tournaments down in Florida, but I'll never complain about playing a conference championship down in Daytona beach. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. I'll get you a, a quick rapid fire round and I will, I will let you go, but got to ask you about your golf game a little bit. You mentioned playing a good bit and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So favorite course that you've ever played. I'm, I always buck the trend. I'm not going to go with the popular ones, but Tuscaloosa down in Eatonton, Georgia. Why is that the favorite? I think it's and it's one of the first core Crenshaw designs who redid Piners Number no. Two and a lot of other uh, famous golf courses. I think it was such a unique golf course, kind of the first golf course that brought links European Scottish style um, courses to the United States and. It's, it's down in Georgia, so the weather's good and, you know, the pollen can be a little bad, but it definitely, it's, if I could pick a course just to go play um, that, you know, I've played on, obviously, obviously there's courses like Southern Hills and Nebraska that I would, I'd love to play, but never got that chance. But Cuscarilla is definitely a unique course and fun, enjoyable, and, you know, you can play it for a tournament or you can play it for a casual round. Awesome. Sounds like you might've just answered my next one. I was going to ask course that you haven't played that's, that's on the bucket list. Is it Southern Hills? Is there another one? Oh, uh, well, let's let me think. I got to think about this one. Um, I'd say Southern Hills probably be it. Just Good answer. Unique classic design. Gotcha. I was interested too. I guess your your putting grip or a putting grip you'd recommend to a new golfer. You watch a lot of the the young PGA Tour guys. You got Will Zalatoris with the yips, Colin Morikawa's kind of battled some bad putting a lot of good ball strikers but the mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of people when they struggle with the putting they just start changing grips or putters or stances do you have a any advice you might give a golfer i i was probably about eight when i first started playing golf and when i was nine i was told by a member of the golf club to try left hand low aka cross-handed and so for the next now 30 years i've been a huge proponent of left hand low 
Um, I think it sets you, it drops your, I think it, first off, it drops your shoulder square. Yeah. Um, so you don't have one shoulder tending to be open or higher. Um, and I think, you know, if you're switching to it, I think eight feet and in, you're going to notice right away, ball's going to roll a whole lot better off the club face right down the line. I think the tough adjustment is probably like lag putting with left hand low because you have a tendency to pull the ball of the putter face up a little quicker. So really keeping the putter face lower down the line is kind of the challenge with longer putts. Awesome. I don't know how much that'll benefit the listeners. It'll certainly benefit me as I go, go through the spring and the summer. So I've got to get the question. I like it. (laughs) I also wanted to ask favorite uh, golfers, professional golfers, male and female. Oh, it's, it's really hard. I'm going to start with the female side. Mm -hmm really hard not to love like a Lydia or Lydia Ko, Nelly Corda. Um, mm-hmm. I think Lydia Ko is probably my favorite just because she did it so nonchalantly, just, you know, won the majors with a big smile, always has a smile on her face, plays incredible golf. And um, I think kind of the, the young gun would be a, a Nelly Corda though. That makes um, men's, men's side, I'm going classic old school Adam Scott. It's a perfect swing. Can't complain yep, about that. Sweater it. choices are a little questionable, but the, the yeah, the, the, brown, the Brown's got to go. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Favorite piece of advice, golf advice that you've either given out or received in your career? I think it's one I received um, from my swing coach and my players are probably sick and tired of me saying it. And I think I may have mentioned it earlier, but it's not about what you've done. It's about what you're going to do. Um, so if you just made a birdie or you just made a bogey, none of that matters when you step up on the second tee box because it's in the past. And I think if, if you can focus on what you're doing right in that moment, you're going to be a better golfer for it. Awesome. Three questions left. So I want to know favorite club, go-to club. Somebody gives it to you. You got to hit a good shot. You can pull any club from the bag. What is it? Seven iron. Seven iron, trusty seven yeah. iron. <laughs> seven iron. That's all I hit on the driving range, and that's pretty much all I hit now on the driving range. So, fair enough. Draw or fade? You got to hit one shot, Shay. Where are you going? Fade all day. You I know te- that once again, I bucked the trend, but I'm going fade all day. You teach that one to your players. I know some of the the younger players. You'll see they do that and can stop it in greens a little faster nowadays with how some of the courses are set up. Or just these, these young guns don't want to hit a fade. They want to hit it <laughs> as far and as high with as big of a draw as humanly possible. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, we do teach some trouble shots where they have to move the ball left or right, but I do wish more of them would learn to hit the fade, especially coming into, uh, greens. Interesting. And last question, favorite achievement as a a golf coach. Um, I mean, maybe hopefully this isn't too soon, but I'm going to say winning the conference championship last year Mm -hmm. when you're not expected to win it coming in and you're down by. I mean, what were we down 16 shots going into the final round and we ended up winning by four. Yeah. I mean, that's a 20 shot difference in one round like that. That was something where, you know, in a COVID year where, you know, we had to wear masks every single place and all the adversity they had faced from um, our previous year being canceled, the fall being canceled, finishing dead last beginning of the year. So, you know, talk about a roller coaster year. I think, you know, even on top of winning, you know, conference coaches of the year, won division two national championships before. And I I think those are great and I'll never forget them, but something about that group last year, it's definitely going to stay with me a really long time. Makes sense. Good achievement. Certainly to to have a conference title. looks like you've got the, uh, the trophy in the background of your zoom shot now. So we do, we do. It's (laughs) definitely something we still showcase to all the recruits that come in. 
Very smart. Very smart. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. I'm going to work on my left-hand low putting the next couple of weeks and hopefully get some things figured out, but appreciate you coming on. Well, perfect. Thank you, Bennett, for having me on. And again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. Thank you to Bennett, and especially thank you to Tommy Baker, and thank you to Jason Kretsch, the SID for the Women's Golf Program, for setting up that interview. It means a ton to us, a lot of fantastic insights, a lot of great discussion, and some fantastic general golf musings. Until next time, we'll be in and out for the next couple of weeks, um, just with softball, baseball, not nearly having a chance at a postseason, maybe an at-large if they just go on some magnificent winning streak, but probably not. So we'll be in and out in the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll jump in with some Diamond Dukes talk uh, every few weeks or so. So keep it locked, subscribe, follow us, and you'll be updated whenever we drop a new podcast. So thank you for tuning in. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.